0: Hi, I'm Jason Masoot and you're listening to The Progression Podcast.
1: Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of The Progression Podcast. Hooray! We're now into December, feeling Christmassy. I'm trying to make these intros a little bit less formal and a bit more chatty, which means uh, they'll be longer, more rambly and maybe less useful, but... Here we go. So, this episode, I'm talking to Jason Masoot. He is a person who has been thinking about design careers and design progression for much longer than I have. He has a lot of interesting opinions on the matter. He's done a lot of exercises, worked with a lot of teams. So, it was really exciting to be able to get him on the podcast to get his thoughts down on tape so that other people can hear what he thinks as well. So, because we've known each other a while, some of the content maybe has a bit less context than is useful. So I've put all the links that to the things that we talk about in the show notes. Please do make sure that you're clicking on them. Hopefully that will help you to understand some of the things that we're talking about a bit more. So we get into his work about designer shapes and mapping kind of the designer skills across multiple companies. He's done a lot of this work the day that we recorded this podcast the fallout from a post that he put on linkedin was just kind of appearing so uh hot off the press we kind of talked about being vulnerable on the internet and making mistakes in public and not taking those mistakes down even when some people are saying that you should and the value of being yourself so lots to dig into uh, if you want to f- see more of jason's stuff he's actually blogging a whole bunch in december on medium again the link is in the show notes uh, he's sharing and discussing a whole bunch more of the techniques and tools that he's used to help designers understand more about themselves and their skill sets. So you should definitely check those out and follow him on Twitter and LinkedIn. He's just Jason Masoot He's also very friendly. And uh, if you do want to talk more to him, I'm sure he would be keen to do that. Okay, another news, I've updated the product. So progressionpack.com is now progressionapp.com. Progressionpack.com is still around but uh, soon i'll redirect that fully the product is evolving into something that is more um, like a sas i suppose it's going to be far more fully featured it will mean that i can do a huge amount more with it uh, and it means i'll be able to do exciting things like offer it to designers solo as well as uh, offering team plans, things like that. I really want to be able to get in front of individual designers as well as in front of uh, teams of designers. So head to progressionapp.com. Uh, you'll be able to sign up on the early access waitlist, uh, get everything before everyone else. Really exciting stuff happening over the next couple of months. Finally, for this podcast, I'm looking for more guests. Uh, if you know people anywhere in the world that are doing interesting things with... Uh, designers running design teams struggling or have cracked how to uh, evolve as a designer um, thinking broadly about this topic or you know non-designers and people that are doing kind of interesting related things to that then please do let me know Uh, i'm always interested to talk to new and people outside my immediate sphere so without further ado that's it on with the pod Hi, Jason. Great to have you on the Progression Podcast. We've been chatting for probably a few years now. Is it years, months or years? It could be. It feels like it. (laughs) About uh, everything from uh, design, progression, and all the things in between that I know you've been thinking about for a long time. Really excited to have you uh, chatting to me on tape. So, um, first of all, it'd be great for those uh, people who haven't come across your work to hear a bit about you and your background and your journey to here and, and kind of what you're up
0: to now. Okay, so I was thinking about this the other day. I was, I was coming up to almost 20 years doing uh, paid-for design. So, you know, after design education, I, I started um, on a course for industrial design. And it was. I guess it's funny in some ways because uh, my parents got me uh, – onto the track of kind of being an engineer and I, I tried to force it into a design route. Um, but I wasn't very good with my hands, not very coordinated physically. So I'd make all these like physical models and glue myself to the table and stuff. So I, uh, I ended up for, for whatever reason, basically declining an offer with my placement to work for Dyson and, um, took on a, a placement for digital yellow pages, yell.com in the early days of the, the internet, after that cuz i spent a lot of money um at university as people do um on music and stuff i ended up um uh, going for a proper design job but also a, a management consultancy job and uh i ended up in management consultancy which um paid a lot more at the time um which was helpful but it wasn't really my desired path uh, it was just a sort of interesting wrong turn in my career but it was a very valuable one tough I guess because of the types of people that I was around was very different to what I was normally, you know, interacting with and wanted to. Um, but I learned a lot more about business and argumentation and just general consulting, actually. And along, alongside some really nice, bright people as well. And some crooked, you know, conniving, cheeky <laughs> people I've learned some bad tricks from. Um, but then I flipped into um, working for Flow Interactive, uh, which is very deep on the user research side back in the day. Um, one of the early user-centered design consultancies and, um, was there for about a year before leaving a bit prematurely because I always said I'd go back possibly, but I uh, had a great opportunity to join Oyster Partners, which became Framfab, which became LBI, which became LBI Digitas, Digitas Public, whatever that is now. And, um, and that was sort of my, my natural home in some ways. A lot of really talented designers of various sorts, um, strong researchers, strong strategists. And where I started to kind of look at different types of designers and trying to work out why we were all so different <laughs> and what I wanted to be when I grew up. Um, and actually that that particular job, which I was in for about three years, I, I went from sort of a kind of a senior middle well, middleweight to senior designer into a director where I was leading, managing others. Um, and that set me off into a path of management, which I took on to um, various other agencies like the team. And then um, after that, I went to a company called RMA Consulting rma kind of focused on you know very complex enterprise applications investment banking applications and and i had a bit of a task over the three years i was there to to continually recruit designers into that world and and so i kind of revisited a lot of my work around profiling and um built out uh some very large teams very very large teams at the time um not not in these days standards bay area standard um that's 50 people on in one project for example and um, a lot of contractors and I uh, did a lot of talk about portfolios and um, just to try and make my life easier because I spent a lot of time hiring seeing a lot of different designers. I am a, I guess I'm an independent consultant uh, I sometimes pull together small teams of people um, the best people I can get rather than whoever's available and I consult on a variety of things from product and service strategy to uh, helping design leaders and design managers with their teams to doing some of my design profiling stuff on the side but, uh, yeah so that's that's me in a, in a <laughs> more than a nutshell I'm afraid yeah.
1: Um, so I, obviously there's one part of that or or one subset of that that I'm particularly interested in which is around design profiling and trying to understand the different kind of personalities and to use your term maybe maybe you're part of canon now in in, in, in this world but most obviously the, the blog post design shapes has kind of done the rounds a little bit and, yeah. and is shared fairly regularly uh, as kind of a piece of work that is interesting when thinking about the fact that not all designers are the same <laughs> uh, so uh, specifically on that, what led you to want to go deep? what pain led you to to want <laughs> to open this Pandora's box, which you know isn't
0: for everyone? Well, it, it sort of started, like I was saying, uh, LBEI and the early days of voice. So I used to go to um, uh, the early UXPA events or UPA events. they were and it used to be. They used to run it in like Microsoft's swimming pool kind of venue, and it was really nerdy and usability focused back in the day. But I still used to go along, even from when I was at PA Consulting. Kind of, you know, I was always a big part of the community and going to these events and speaking out and saying my thing and one one time uh giles colburn of cx partners um now uh asked you know well you know who are who is our sort of like the designers we look up to who are the the sort of people in user experience or usability that we look up to and there really wasn't anyone there like that would that i was aspiring to be like no one that i could relate to there was back in the day it was like jacob nielsen jared spool and stuff and like you know and that's interesting jared's still more about but but they weren't like designers like i was who cared about experience so they were kind of from a very different angle and so i I started exploring this notion of the what would be the perfect designer to, to aspire to and so i uh, back in two thousand and five, so about thirteen years ago, I I started working on this poster called uh, "Creating the Perfect Experience Architect." We called them "Experience Architects" at Oyster back in the day, and um, I kind of spoke to a bunch of colleagues, people around the business, ex-colleagues, clients, and all sorts of things, and and just surveyed them. So like, well, what what makes a good one of these people, these good user experience people? And I knew there was no such thing as a perfect one. I just knew that, that I'd be interested to find out what, what was, was interesting about them. And, and what was fascinating was that so many interesting things came back and they weren't really about the the kind of craft skills that, that maybe we were focusing on back then. You know, we were still talking about pattern libraries and all this other stuff, typical things that we still talk about. And um, it was Fascinating to me because there was a lot of stuff in there that was very like, you know, soft skill, if I'm, I'm not allowed to say soft skill, but interpersonal human skills, human <laughs> skills. I use your categorization now, human skills, Um interhuman skills, the this, this sort of stuff that um, relates to how you work with others. And so empathy kind of was high on that list. There was number two, for example, the, the priorities after being a team player. Um, but it was empathy for beyond users. It was empathy for your partners and colleagues. So I really stress that point with others when I talk about that poster. But anyway, that poster used, to, used to, I did it once for a Euro IA back then, the first Euro IA. And, um, uh, Oyster Partners, every UXPA careers event, I, they would always bring it out, even after I left, like the good <laughs> several years, I was like, oh man, that's, that's still going on. Um, and I would use some of the framework. Um, but also back in those days, uh, one of some of the guys in the team had gone to an adaptive path event in Amsterdam and they brought back this design framework and they started to draw these shapes over this like quadrant of different areas, design strategy, uh, user research, interaction design, and IA. And so we started doing that with the team and just mapping these different shapes for people. And uh, people really found it really interesting, really useful and really quick. So I kept on doing that throughout my career and I kept on referencing both the perfect EA poster and this blob mapping thing i call it blob mapping um uh, and whatever whatever presentation i was doing it kind of it kind of factored into about like 30 percent of all of my presentations that were on slide and everyone would always clip that slide always reference that slide i was like what and i would see like these people talking about um this this framework this quadrant thing and um uh, and and reference it over the years and i, and I kind of just let, let it be for a long time and then recently we picked it up when um a recruitment consult um, company came in got in touch with me, uh, and uh, they wanted to kind of advance that model because things had moved on. And I was like, "Yeah, cool. I'd like to spend some time advancing it because it's about 13 years out of date, you know." <laughs> and so I got my head into that space again and started to to work through it. And then, I guess, really, only last year I've just started to, you know, just over a year ago now, um, just started to run workshops around this and just just developing a whole bunch of frameworks just to draw stuff out around that. So
1: yeah, you've been working with a few kind of clients here in London and, and and elsewhere on design shapes and and getting into the design team and getting into the personalities and and uh, try to map the capabilities and and the interests. What's the problem that you're solving?
0: Well, that's a good, that's a good, good question because I'm, I'm redefining that problem now because um, there's various reasons we'll come on to. Um, so, for example, I'm trying to, I'm trying to distance myself from the career ladder and we'll come back to that. I'm sure I, I really, because I think that's a slightly different thing. So the weird thing is, is that people always want to get to a career ladder and be able to have the framework in which they can assess people fairly, right? This is, this is what your work is all around. And everyone wants it. Everyone who comes in a workshop. They want to find out about that, even though it's not, I'm not quite saying that for me, I want people to better understand who they are and understand where they want to develop. And I guess a part of that should be some form of peer review and try to be, you know, assessing yourself. But what I've realized is that it's actually just incredibly valuable just to spend the time with self-reflection using different prompts essentially to help you think f- through yourself and through a different lens than you might have seen yourself before. And and, and you, I think I, I heard you talking with Austin or something around this um, the other day, like, you know, it's it, it just people don't the designers are not spending this time self-reflecting we don't have the tools we don't have the frameworks to do this and and so um i think the primary reason is to get people to self-reflect and to understand where you know where they are and i think that would make people happier for one i mean obviously the, the companies themselves want to understand where they want to develop and invest and where there's gaps in the team where they can hire and then also how to hire the right type of person you know how are they going to express what they need um and then also just trying to um i guess manage the uh yeah basically well for example if you're an agency or consultant in fact even in in-house right you're trying to kind of place the right people on the right type of work and so maybe you can understand better the different types of skill sets and explain to your other stakeholders well actually jason's a different type of designer to johnny he's going to be more useful at this stage of the process or more useful for this type of work um you know it 's very different um and and just try to give people a better language for explaining their differences and their diversity i guess so th- there's a multiple reasons i haven 't really boiled it down to one or two, but at the moment i 'm really distancing myself from the career ladder staff for for various reasons um so yeah that that does that explain is is one of the reasons
1: uh, a political one it, does it become too emotional at that
0: point or well you know to be honest it is a bit political because there's a lot of people who are trying to come with the answers and you know i know i've been working with um you know and chatting through with with um similar people to you have like todd and what he's been talking about the career ladders and 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 i i get i get the the need the motivation to have clarity on roles and be fair and all those sorts of things but the problem i asked and the thing i asked in my recent workshop to a bunch of design ops people was you know, can you wholeheartedly say that if someone has ticked all those boxes, that they're being guaranteed the promotion to that next level? Can you guarantee that they'll get that pay rise? If you can't, and if you don't think that's so accurate, then then you're setting an expectation that can't be fulfilled. And I've not been in an organisation that could categorically say we could definitely promote people based on that necessarily that specific advancement or give them the promotion based on that or the the increase. And so. I really worry that it sets up a kind of an illusion of exhaustiveness and absolutist, uh, you know, progression. Box ticking. Yeah, but like, you know, and I've played that game. I used to play that game back in Oyster back in 2005. We had all those frameworks. We had that stuff, and I would like... I learned this from PA like you would you would play the game you would basically see your requirements of progression you would kind of you know we had like a a, a macro-based uh spreadsheet and we worked out how to hack into the the rules of it because we're a <laughs> bunch of like smart techie people and so you could work out the principles of like how it got derived right and then you could kind of play the game now um yes I was doing good work but also I was proving the fact and so we kind of tried to make it undeniable but but I know how to sell right as well I've learned that to mm. some extent. Now, other people didn't know how to play that game, but they might as well have had, um, you know, they might as well have been better equipped, better, more competent than I was in the relevant areas, but they just didn't do that, didn't spend the time in the spreadsheets. And and I just don't think that that in itself is fair. I mean, I don't I don't find the tools themselves at the moment. I think your tool's better, obviously. To, to <laughs> you be don't have to say that easy to engage <laughs> with so so I, I have a little criticism in my latest presentation that you know why we up we've discussed this why they end up in a spreadsheet they're, they're hard to update they're hard to create in the first place is your point you know you, you need one person to do it single-mindedly and they need to understand all these different categories and write them in one kind of consistent way no one can do that easily and um And then if you need to update it later on, you've got to kind of go through everything, make sure it's all consistent, the right level of abstraction, make sure you're you're capturing everything, make sure it's all exhaustive. And then you've got to hope that someone's going to use it, right? And it's Mm. it's they are hideous to use. They're hideous to use. If you make them too abstract, then it's going to be too ambiguous. If you make them really specific, then is it going to cover everything? There's a lot of things uh, that I have a problem with. And so this is the first time more publicly that I'm, I'm addressing this. Good. Um, but like, so I, I love the idea. I think the idea is not suited to reality a lot of the time. So I, I, I love what you're doing and trying to kind of tackle this, but I, my stuff is generally like an input into that. Like I'm, yeah. I, I wanted to get to the point where, where I thought I would have like a complete view of all the different skills that were necessary for a good designer these days. But, um, I, I think the real value is being the precursor to that. So for an organization to kind of get them to reflect on what categories are most important to them with a whole yeah. set of different types of prompts. And then once they've established what those categories are, then they can go to town. I can help them work out what the appropriate rubrics or what the appropriate philosophies are around what progression is in those areas. Now, whether that progression correlates with, um, uh, a salary rise promotion or whatever is something that i again i would challenge but um I, I i i want to be getting people to understand where they're at and what's important for an organization or what's important to yourself first long answer
1: and uh, you know i like to be reductive with you jason you know d- uh, on, try and in- encourage something yes. uh, uh clickbaity out of you oh yeah but, uh, are we talking about kind of designer archetypes like yeah. can you get to the kind of the nine types of designer that you know you could find yourself on a (laughs) (laughs) Myers-Briggs-esque
0: um maybe so I've been talking about that in terms of design leadership to some extent I think maybe that that would be easier to do or or more valuable for the moment Um, so I haven't quite boiled the patterns down to kind of get to those archetypes yet but when I was working on the UX spectrum I pulled out some example like job titles, the current job title, like product designer, UI slash UX designer, service designer, and like a uh, UX strategist, for example, like some new, newish categories of roles and tried to illustrate like, you know, where you would expect someone to be stronger in particular areas. And, and so you start to get some sort of archetypes from that. And I think those things can be helpful as mm. in relation to the leadership profiles of things that I've been doing. There's some definite archetypes probably emerging from that, from some of the more outwardly selly type uh, leaders, uh, inspirers, visionary type people going around the organization, going out into the community, those types. And those people who are very team focused, organizing, sort of being more manager, more servant leadership types and um, that's incredibly and then there's the the sort of collaborative collegiate kind of wanting to work with the organization type type people as well so i've definitely seen some archetypes kind of come through for now i just haven't done the analysis yet on it um there's definitely some interesting patterns i could probably kind of find out which i just haven't really been doing so much of to be honest it's just been it's been more interesting for the the teams themselves to self-reflect
1: the leadership archetypes matter to uh, aren't just for managers right
0: no that's true
1: everyone could be put in a position of leadership at some point whether it's for a day or for for an entire career yes uh so knowing what kind of a leader you are is kind of important regardless as as soon as there's someone looking to you for an answer in any way then then you're leading so yeah how do you imagine them being useful
0: and implemented on a on a wider scale so I agree with you. That's one of the conclusions I got to was that when I started to map people, I started to do leaders, managers and those sorts. And then I realized that actually, you know, anyone in the team could be doing some of these things, these different categories. So um, and then I realized that a lot of them are really important to design ops right? as well. So, you know, they were they were the core of design ops because it was basically all the categories were things that weren't solution design. And um, so things like vision and strategy, uh, community um, team, uh, practice, uh, quality across solution and strategic stuff, uh, collaboration, uh, advocacy and, uh, capabilities within the organization. And, uh, so I, what I do with, with, with individuals within a team is, is just try to kind of get them to, to map like how much how much time they think they spend relatively across those different areas, because as an individual contributor, as a sort of like designer on the ground, you're probably involved in some of those things, right? And then I asked them the question of like, where out of the, out of those categories, which three areas do you think your your team or your function should be investing? So not saying about you, but saying where should there be some investment? And it's really interesting when you you compare what a sort of individual contributor uh, designer on the ground says versus what the leader or manager has said and stuff. So you see some kind of interesting discrepancies there. But I, th- I think that's super interesting. I think that those things are they they help you to realize that the job is beyond just you know cranking out some prototypes, whatever.
1: Right. It's an important misconception that people have that needs to break is that the design department is a service to the organization and as an extension of that designers don't just work in a design tool and how much of the design process is communicating out and working with others and Mm. um, it's not something that you can just put your headphones on and
0: do the design work (laughs) well there's there's i mean there's different modes right and i think it's quite interesting in Someone was asking me today around, you know, the differences between US, UK market and stuff. And the scale of some of these design teams is like crazy, right? And then you, you hear some of the stories of some of the design ops teams. I've been trying to get my head around like what design ops really means, as many have. And and there there is a viewpoint that like in some organizations the design ops are sort of acting almost like as account manager type producers of old, where, you know, they will go and get the briefs, they'll take them into the kind of cocoon of the design world. The designers can crank out their work and be really happy that they're not having all these meetings and engaging with all these other stakeholders and then push the work out. Now to me, I'm like, well, ninety percent of my job is talking with the other people and doing the stuff. Ten percent right. was the solution design. I was like going, Okay, you disempowering me or you empowering me to just like crank out cool ui and i think that actually to be honest that that would suit certain types of designers some designers really do want to spend a lot of time just 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 finessing things and and so they should because there's not enough of good stuff out there at the moment and um, especially in terms of like say more visual ui design practices like it's almost like uh, quite sweary to be considered a visual designer only and Mm. and you wonder why we've got so many bland apps and services and things that just don't really sing it's just like material design to the max and I think there's just a lack of art direction in that world a lack of care and craft and it's because we've kind of said that that's not not so important because you need to understand all these other things as well and and I think this is a problem that's symptomatic of the digital design user experience product design world where we are just inundated with the amounts of skills, capabilities, mindsets, thinking, knowledge that we should understand. It's so paralyzing and people are really lost in that. That's why having some some of these simple frameworks just helps them kind of get back to base around what's really important.
1: The titles of skill sets and the types of designer that you can be is overwhelming. The pressure from uh, companies that, I suppose, buy design, whether they're buying a full-time employee who does the design or, or a design agency or whatever it is it wants all the things and wants the unicorn experience um, yeah. how do you break the deadlock of people
0: having to promise the earth um i think there's probably is there are ways out i think that it's always going to be really complex and so like in an ideal world the the mega spreadsheet, the, the boiling the the ocean of UX or whatever I called it. Just, it. I think that that sort of thing does need to exist, and ideally that would be kind of kept over time. I think that needs to exist, and we need to keep adding to that, right? But we need to keep on having these abstraction layers to kind of talk about these different dif- these different differences. And so, you know, I've been trying to kind of. Talk up this idea of the diversity of design diversity. You know, there's so many different types of, um, design dimensions, uh, of, of, what, what we're trying to grow across. And, and if we could just be clear on that there's, there's a different simple categorization of those and, and just use them as prompts, I think that can help. Like, I really do like, I ended up a, for a project and, um, you know, that you're aware of with one of my clients and I, I just kind of decided to just go with your categories because they made some sense. The human maker and leader, right? So, um, I had some different things underneath them, but then, you know, it just kind of helps us to kind of pass a lot of the complexity. So there right. might be more things that add on to the list, but at least there's some kind of overarching frameworks that, you know, that can help people recognize the difference.
1: Yeah. I'd like to move on to the second question that I had prepared for you as a, a, a starter for 10, a discussion point is those that follow you on social media or that have seen you speak at a conference recently, definitely, but actually, even. A few years ago, I remember the first conference I saw you at. This was also true. You're very open and frank about both strong opinions, but also vulnerabilities, and you know when you're not feeling so good or, or difficult times in your career. In a world where the, I suppose the the social media age has made us all want to create a an online persona for ourselves that is the best possible looking thing, you know. What makes you want to share so openly? What benefit do you see? Maybe I'm being cynical asking <laughs> whether you even need to see a benefit, but uh, I, this is something that I'm trying to do and probably am yeah. not good enough at. So I'm really
0: interested to hear from you. Um, I, I've always been somewhat self-deprecating, right? So I've had a lot of uh, confidence issues, right? Uh, I think like many people, Um I, you know, when I was at a management consultancy, you know, they force you into doing these presentation trainings, like proper horrible and, and all these different things. And, and I wasn't getting heard in meetings, all this typical stuff, like, you know, the, the, the women call out, like, you know, when, when they say something and then someone repeats that. And that used to happen to me all the time. I got really frustrated with it. And, and so, uh, you know, I, I was always very shy as well. So being quite timid and being shy, but thinking I've got really interesting ideas to share. It felt really difficult to kind of get those ideas out. So I've, um, I've overcompensated some of the, my lack of confidence in some ways by, by being more forthright in the past. And, and so sometimes people will see me as being really provocative and really forthright and essentially speaking my mind. Now, um, I've tended to kind of do that a lot and not, not have so much of a filter generally. And that gets me into all sorts of trouble, right? But it also <laughs> endears me to other people. Um, I, I guess, I guess specifically on that that first lead and design thing, I actually had a had a whole like, structured approach, and I was going to be on time and everything. And then, and then when I, I did a little pause, I remember, and I just went, "Actually, I'm going to go a bit off script here." We get, you know, this isn't being really recorded, is it? I, I said to Andy, and he was like, "No," because it wasn't at the time. Good thing. Um <laughs> I went a bit off script and just remembered like one of these things. I was quite pained because I wasn't a manager anymore, and I wasn't looking after these people, and I missed it for for a while. I wanted to get away from it, but I had a really bad experience and and i shared that and um i shared aspects of that in some of the posts i've written this year and people have been kind of contacting me wanting to chat through it all these great people running agencies all these things but you know i've had so many of these similar things they say and and talk about it and so partly it's it's to kind of endear me and to self-deprecate and so that you know when i say something i'm kind of covering my own confidence tracks because i'm not like a a very confident american speaker going to tell you how it is and this is black and white i just i i usually love to go after those people because i just like i'll find the holes in those arguments whereas i'm just saying like you know this is me this is what i've learned and it's my way of dealing with that confidence thing but also like i it is cathartic and i do think it helps people like i've, I've you know so much so many people have approached me recently around around that and said like thank you for doing that it's been it's been so helpful so um yeah, I just wish it wouldn't necessarily stand in the way of my uh, career prospects <laughs> uh, which it poss- possibly does at times. So, you know, there's there's a there's a there's a value in a filter at times.
1: Yeah, it's funny how an air of mystique can when you know what you're buying, you you can make a more informed buying decision and some people want to buy Jason and some people don't want to buy Jason whereas if you're a mystery, then people don't know what they're buying, which
0: That's right. And like sometimes you can kind of like, if you were kind of an overthinker like I am, uh, overthinking perfectionist, if you can, I mean, all these different models do these sorts of things, like, you know, high anxiety, creative, highly depressive, all these different things. Like you're just kind of constantly thinking, well, you know, is, did I really upset them? Did they not want me as I am? And like all these things. And you know, I, I just kind of believe in trying to be as true as possible to myself because I've, I've made myself not myself over the years to kind of compensate for my own anxieties. Right. And you know, being more confident, speaking to people at events. I, I, I struggle to speak to my friends if I'm going to go and see my, you know, friends haven't seen in a while for, for a night out. I, I'm like, I'm like shitting it before I, I'm like, I don't <laughs> want to go. I don't want to go. It's really scary. And then I'm fine. Once I'm there and had a few drinks, but like, you know, go to a UX event, I'm fine. You know, like, I'm just yeah. going to chat. There's something about that confidence just switching me. It's weird. And, and it's a shame that like, I've had to do that, but you know, that, that's, that's my own like veil and mask, I suppose.
1: Learning about yourself is an important part of growing as a human. Absolutely. As a designer, but also as a human. Definitely. <laughs> the the journey I'm on or have been on over the last year, going from a, a safe cocoon of a big company and a steady paycheck and, and a set of things that I do every day, calendar events turn up in my calendar and I go, I trot along to them, <laughs> to a world of... Um, unknowns i woke up this morning and didn't entirely know what was going to happen today <laughs> and and you know that's that's the world that you inhibit as well most definitely but yeah. moving into that helps you to learn a lot about yourself and how well you can self-motivate and what you really care about in in kind of your working week as well as uh, the work-life balance that you care about so you know I know that you don't live as central and you, you know, hang out with your family and stuff like that. And it's really uh, a decision that it's hard to make if you're tied to a central and an office in.
0: Yeah. I've been, I've been sort of, yeah, in some ways lucky in that way. I mean, uh, uh, it's interesting the, the effects of um, becoming a parent on, on, on that, but like, I'm going to say something that's maybe a bit more controversial, because you know, as well, because my, my wife can probably hear as well. Um, but uh, <laughs> but you you lose a lot of your identity when you become a parent as well. And when when being a designer, there's a there's a lot of identity loaded into being a designer. You you self express a lot through the work. Yes, you're designing for other people. Yes, you're trying to kind of do things in the right way. But but you are putting a lot of energy and heart and soul into things. And um, when when your sort of purpose in your your day job is 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 to, in some part to kind of like support a family and other things as well, that that becomes a focus. And in this industry, you can get paid a lot as well for for mm-hmm. doing something that you ultimately love. I think that um it, you can get get even more conflicted. So you know, I've had to I've had to take on certain bits of work that I just didn't feel like were were necessarily right for me, and I haven't been able to find the right kind of opportunities because I just need to bring in um, the money, and that, that is a, a shame in some ways because. Um, you know, I, I'm very passionate about different creative endeavors, and I have little, you know, design-related hobbies, and do IXDA is a kind of an outlet for that as well. Um, so I, I don't know. I just think it's really important, but I, you know, I, I think that it must be really difficult from um, uh, a mother's perspective um, going back into work, and then you know, starting to get, get, be really, really enjoy it and and kind of get 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 full on into it as well when when you know you you, you might get pulled away for a um, Uh, you know, uh, an event or look after the kid. And 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 it shouldn't necessarily be around that way. I mean, you know, the roles definitely should and could uh, flip. I love being a parent. It's great. I also love being (laughs) a designer and that conflicts.
1: Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. I don't know if you want to touch on today's events at all, (laughs) just towards the end of this
0: chat. (laughs) Maybe, maybe, maybe not. On stage at the DesignOps Summit, it was great because... Um I started off the second day. Um the video will be out soon, hopefully. And I was the only only bloke on stage um for the for the morning. Uh there were three women after me, like super power women, like you know, really, really strong um great presentations. And they were on a panel afterwards, and so I was deliberately trying to be more quiet than I usually am on a panel. And um and then there was a question around um, you know, design ops role in diversity. And uh obviously people are saying yeah it's all really important you know design ops should help with the diversity and i was like saying look uh, you know i get that all these these things about the diversity that we keep talking about um are important but you know i'm really interested in more types of diversity than that all the things that i've been exploring about you know the 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 different uh approaches as a designer like more conceptual designers more detail-oriented designers more people who are wanting to be in that cocoon versus people who are outward and collaborative, and you know, Post-it notes, serv- service design types all the time, all those different types, or versus system thinkers. Right, that's the type of diversity that I can kind of draw a much closer relationship between that and uh, business benefit. And it's hard enough right. to try and kind of draw that line at the moment around design value for sure. McKinsey report does not do that at the moment, um, and uh, so I so I was started to write uh, an article. And I was a medium post. It was going to go out there. And I was like, and I held myself off because I started off by talking about, you know, um, the racial abuse I had as a as a youngster. And I got put into a private school, got a scholarship. And I was out. I was in a different class as everyone else. Like as a, I was like lower class compared to their upper class and middle class uh, kind of people there. Uh, and I felt like a token brown kid. And I got racially abused. I felt like I had to kind of do all this to get to the point to actually say what I wanted to say. Um, right. So I haven't published that. <laughs> instead, <laughs> instead, because I was doing another podcast today, potentially talking about designer diversity. We didn't touch on this. And I thought, well, I'll just, just share this little map of like my early sketch of this designer diversity thing on LinkedIn and ask the question around what, you know, what, what, what are the hot topics in design diversity at the moment? What different types of design diversity are there? And this, this, this quick sketch was meant to illustrate that there's more than just, um, race, color, gender sex and stuff and um very quickly uh, a peer friend in, of the in the industry quickly hopped on that and said well i i fit into two of those genders i don't think this makes sense and then a few others jumped on and i did a bad job of um covering that bit but um no one answered well only a few people answered the questions and got focused on the, the image and a couple of people asked said i should just take it down and then I couldn't, yeah. <laughs> I couldn't take it down without taking down the comments. And I was like, Oh, this is, I'm having a disaster here. But hey, you know, um, I am, I just now don't understand sex and gender. Although I do to, I do to an extent. It's just like, it's, it's the problem I have is the labeling of these things. It's like, let's get down to actually what the differences are. And, um, yeah. What did you think? Yeah. It
1: was, it was kind of a, a <laughs> you know, watching, it's like watching a car crash from, the... <laughs> great i love that so, <laughs> fail so, fast um, fail
0: hard or whatever I don't know.
1: one thing that i would say you know independent of of because you know people will listen to this in the future maybe either after the post has at least disappeared down a feed or or maybe gone entirely depending on what you decide to do but it is scary to ask whether your understanding is correct over something that is hard to talk about in the first place yeah and a lot of people you know there, there were reactions on your posts that were you should take this down because it's wrong mm. but how do you educate anyone if anything that's wrong is taken down <laughs> like how do all of those people that definitely wouldn't post that because most people frankly wouldn't have posted that or would have taken it down, but you know you're you're special like that, Jason. all of those people reading it will be learning things from the the comments yes
0: yes exactly
1: and and next time that they walk into a situation where they have to understand a bias or, or make a make a judgment call themselves or um, need to use a label f- for someone, then they'll have a better understanding of, of the implications of what they're saying and yeah. and have a better understanding of their own biases and what diversity means. Or, or you know, whether it's diversity in the workplace or just a, an understanding of the kind of spectrum of humanity that exists in the world, then there's a, a, a good those opportunities where you kind of get it wrong, which, you know, some people said you got it wrong, you you got it a bit wrong, but there's an opportunity to um, educate not just yourself, but other people through osmosis or kind of, you know, the secondhand smoke of being a better, more understanding, more inclusive human being. Hopefully a bunch of LinkedIn was improved or a bunch of LinkedIn scrollers and lurkers were also educated by something that you kind of put out there. So, yeah. I hope I for one hope that posting something like that and leaving it up and letting people challenge you on it um is not something that you know you you take
0: the fall for. <laughs> I I I uh, I I mean, you know, when, when i when i realized i couldn't take the image off i was i was glad i i you know i wrote the post originally and then didn't have an image on it i thought oh well this is going to get more attention if i put an image on it <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's the wrong image um but but like you know i to be to be honest i i'm not a big one into link bait but i am into uh, provocative operations and the classic um, Edward DeBono bono sense in some ways so i do i do agree i do believe that Sometimes you need to kind of create something for kind of a reaction, uh, not, not deliberately for that reaction, but you have to kind of create um, an artifact, a piece of stimulus, an intervention that, that that provokes a good discussion to get to a clarifying point. And, and I, I believe in debate for that. We just don't have good debate. Um, I, I'm i constantly, you know, I, I, I frame a lot of the shaping tools things I do as, as one of the big things I'm leading on at the moment is how imperfect they are. Partly because I, I just, you know, just giving people the opportunity for a continual improvement rather than say this is it because i don't think we'll ever be this is it i'll just say look here's some good examples they're not just totally pulled out of my butt um some of them some of them have been but some of them had a lot of practice with and you know a lot of work into um but the point isn't you know whether they're right or wrong is how how you can use them to kind of learn about yourself and and if you can have more intelligent conversations more clarifying conversations then then that's good and you know irrespective of everything i've done in that space i think in the, there's a net positive to my work i will say and i'm proud of that and it's made me happy about you know some of my last 13 years um but i only realized that last year so
1: as you go on your journey and i go on my journey it'd be cool to check in and just yes. see you know what you're learning because you'll be for the foreseeable uh, to my understanding, you'll be embedded in teams and, and really kind of getting to know personalities and understanding the nuances of one organization, whereas I'm attempting to build something generic enough to work for all. So mm. we really have very different, I suppose we have the same goal, but but our approaches necessitate different ways of thinking about it. So yeah. the tensions within that will be really interesting. And uh, hearing you question how much a tool can really do towards I suppose making a promotion decision or a hiring decision versus the discretion and kind of um, something that only a human can do is something that I think actually the difference between our two outputs will illustrate that tension quite nicely and mm. we'll kind of see what the middle ground is, and yeah. I hope you're wrong.
0: <laughs> Well, no. I mean, uh, I I hope I'm wrong because there's more hope in in in, in, in what you're doing. <laughs> I think that you know, to be honest, I just I just see other benefits other than career progression. What I've realised and out of this process has been more useful and valuable to people is actually just doing it. Um, yeah. I I do hope for other things out out of the progression sides of things as well and but i do i do think there always needs to be a layer of discretion but i think you can have more informed discretion (laughs) um and that's that's incredibly valuable so i think all of that work is great and you know by having a, a database rather than like a spreadsheet to feed something else it works so much better so i'm a big fan i will definitely keep in touch and um yeah keeps me on my toes cracking have a good day and you too take care